we have the new Parsha, Parsha's Re'ei. And Parsha's Re'ei, its very name is so wonderful. It's Re'ei, which means see. And uh, that's what it's all about. It's about seeing. We've been have, having this discussion since Ba'et Hanan about the difference between hearing and seeing. And here we have the Parsha of seeing, that part of us that can actually see it and have that real clarity that we associate with seeing. But let's have a look. This also has to do with freedom of choice, which is such an important and essential um, concept in Judaism and in life. And it's Jonathan's Bar Mitzvah. So that's really, really big. Okay. Verse, chapter 11, verse 26. Re'e, re'e, see. Look, or as in the, the fancy English, behold, I am placing before you today. And we've seen this, this word appear again and again in the last parsha, Hayom, that this is about, it's happening, it's constant, it's timeless, a timeless message. I'm putting before you today, Bracha uklala. Bracha is blessing, uklala and curse. I'm putting these in front of you. Rashi tells us, what is he referring to over here? So the, the blessings and curses are those stated respectively on Mount Grizim and Mount Abel on one, as we, as we will learn, or we, uh, we did learn in the past, and we'll learn in the future. Um, the the uh, Jewish people were meant to be um, on the Mount of, some, some tribes were on Mount Grizim, some were on Mount Abel, and there were, cur- there were blessings that were said and there were cursing that were said and the Jews had to answer, answer amen to them. So that, that's what it's referring to when it says, I'm placing before you these blessings and curses. Blessings if you do the right thing, curses if you do the wrong thing. Verse 27, what did I mean by the blessing, that you will listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, that I am commanding you today. On the condition, says Rashi, the blessing is on the condition that you will listen. Baklala, verse 28, the curse is if you will not listen to the mitzvahs of the Lord your God and you will stray from the path that I am commanding you today, again today, Laleches, and instead you go and follow foreign gods. And as we learned last week, what does it mean, Elohim Achirim, foreign gods? There are no other gods. They're foreign gods in that the people who worship them as gods, they act like strangers to their worshipers. They don't listen. But and if you, the Jewish people, will go and follow those false gods, that you have not known. Says Rashi, we learn from here that anyone who worships idols, he is not just doing one Avera, one sin, you know, he's a pretty, pretty religious guy. It just happens that he, you know, he worships uh, an idol every once in a while. No, if a person worships idols, he is leaving the whole path from which the Jewish people have been commanded. And you see that in the verse because it says you, you're leaving the path. And, it's, and what is the definition of leaving the path? It says, by worshiping idols. What do you mean? I'm doing all the other mitzvahs. I'm keeping kosher. I'm keeping Shabbos. I'm doing dafyaymi. I just worship an idol every once in a while. Come on, give me a break. No. Worshiping idols is cutting yourself off from God. 
Anybody who is worshipping an idol acknowledges the divinity of a pagan deity. It's as if he denies the entire Torah. And as we know, uh, there's three mitzvahs that you never, you never uh, desecrate. You, I mean, sorry, you never, you never do. Hey, sweetie, I, I can't help you because I, I, I'm in the middle of the class. Um, right, we know the three mitzvahs that, if you, that even if on the pain of death, we're not supposed to do them. Why? Because these mitzvahs, these sins, they cut you off from the, uh, from the source of life from God. Verse 29, and it will be when God will bring you, Lord, God will bring you to the land that you are coming over there to inherit. You shall place the blessing. You shall place the curse upon the mountain called Avel. Rashi says that we need to look at Onkelos. We need to look at the Aramaic translation here, which says, Yasmivarchaya. The blessing refers to those who bless. That will be placed on the mountain called Grizim. And what's Alha Grizim? Rashi tells us, does not mean Al, typically means Al upon, says Rashi. No. Alha Grizim, we should understand this, Klape Hagrizim, facing. The mountain of Grizim. So I believe it was the Levites who were in the center between these two mountains. And when they say the blessings, they are facing Mount Grizim and the tribes who were up there. Blessed is the man who will not create a molten image, etc. All of the curses that we're going to see in the Parsha, in the Parsha in, in chapter 27. First, they would say it in a way of blessing. Blessed is the man who doesn't worship idols. And then they would turn their, their faces towards Mount Aval and begin to say the same thing in a manner of a curse. Are they not on the other side of the Jordan? In direction of the sunset. In the land of the Canaanite, who dwell on the plain. Mulha Gilgal opposite the Gilgal, near the plains of Moira. So Moshe says, Rashi says, Moshe gives them geographical landmarks in Hebrew, Nasa Behem Simon. He gives them the signs, the landmarks to describe where you're going to find these mountains. After crossing the Jordan, much further on in distance, that's what it means by Achare beyond. Might have beyond the Jordan toward the West. Verse 31 You are crossing over the Jordan to go and to inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. You will inherit it and you will dwell in it. Yeah, says Rashi, you're passing over the Jordan, you're crossing the Jordan. The miracles that will happen when you cross the Jordan, those will be for a sign for you that you're going to come and inherit the land as promised. 
So if we look back at the verse, I look at the English, for you are crossing the Jordan to come to possess the land which the Lord God has given you. Right, the way Rashi reads it, for you're crossing the Jordan, and when you cross the Jordan, you're going to see miracles because you're also going to be splitting of the Jordan. To come to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you, that's going to put it into your head and remind and, and give you even more confidence that you're going to go into the land of Israel and inherit the land. Verse 32, you shall keep to perform all the statutes and the ordinances that I am giving to you today. Verse 1, these are the statutes and the ordinances that you shall keep to do. But it's in the land that the Lord your God gave to you to inherit all the days that you are living upon the earth. Uh, verse 2, the Torah gives us a command. What do we do when we get into the land of Israel? Abed ta'abdun. Here we translate, you shall utterly destroy. And as we've seen many times in the past, the Torah will use like a double expression. Destroy, you shall destroy. Eskolamakoimois. All of the places. Asher avdusham hagoyim. All of the places that the nations, the Goyim, have are worshipping, that you are inheriting their lands and they're worshipping their gods over there. On the high mountains and upon the hills, that's where they would worship their idols. And under every lush tree. Under every lush tree. So eight tachas is under, eight is tree, and ranon is like a fresh lush tree. Says Rashi, why does the Torah use this double expression? Abed to Abdun. Destroy, you shall destroy. Says Rashi, Abed to Abdun. Destroy it and destroy it again. This is like the vaccine. You need two shots. When you uproot, you have to thoroughly uproot it, remove every trace of it. Trying to think of an example. I mean, you see that in, you know, um, a scientific example that you get rid of something, I think in certain illnesses, yeah, that's what I'm reminding of. You got to get rid of it and then you got to, you get rid of, get rid of it. So this is what we're saying about worship. And I think that, you know, when it comes to certain qualities that you can compare to idolatry that we may have within ourselves, you can get rid of it on a superficial level, but ultimately you want to really uproot it from yourself and from the society. Because as we know, if you don't really uproot it and you just kind of mow the lawn, <laughs> as we do in certain, uh, certain neighboring countries in Israel, it, it'll come back. It'll come back to bite you. So you got to uproot it. You got to uproot it. What you destroy, you should destroy their gods that are upon the mountains. Don't leave them around. You shall tear down their altars. You shall smash their monuments. Their are the trees that they worship. You should burn them in fire. The graven images of their gods, you shall cut down. You shall destroy their name. 
from that place. Rashi tells us that when it talks about an altar, a mizbeach, it's talking about many made of many stones. So he's telling you, what's the difference between a mizbeach and a matzeva? So a mizbeach has many stones. A matzeva is made of one big stone. This is the bimus, the pedestal for an idol, stone that was originally carved for an idol's pedestal. A sheira, Rashi tells us, a tree that is worshipped, ilan hanevad, you shall destroy their, their name. What does that mean? You give them a disgraceful name. So you give these I, I, um, idols, you give them a kind of derogatory name. Typically, we're not supposed to engage in any kind of derogatory language or, or mockery. But the exception is, when it comes to idolatry, there, the Torah is telling us that is a positive thing to do, to belittle it, and to disparage it. Verse 4, Don't do thus to the Lord your God. Don't do all of these things. Um, okay, well, Rashi is going to give us two explanations. What does it mean, don't do this? What, what is this? First says, Rashi, don't do like this. Don't worship God in the way that these idolaters worship their gods, the way they worship their gods, as we read before, they go on the top of this mountain, on that hill, under a tree, over here. No, no, no. When it comes to worshiping God, it has to be in the holy temple. That when you when you when you burn sacrifices to God, you shouldn't do that in every place, but rather the place that God will choose, namely the temple in Jerusalem. That's one explanation. Rashi gives a second explanation, which is. We just said you shall break their altars and destroy their names. Don't do that to the Lord your God. And this is teaching us that this is a warning for not to erase the name of God or to break a stone from the Mizbeah, from the altar, or from the Azara, from the, from the holy courtyard. Omar Rabbi Yishmael, Rabbi Yishmael said, Chisal al Rabbi Shmuel is one of the sages of the Mishnah. He was a colleague of Rabbi Akiva. There were many arguments between him and Rabbi Akiva in the Talmud, in the Mishnah. Chisal al would you think? Would you think that the Jewish people are going to go breaking um, breaking the, the altars? Rather, this is yet a, a third interpretation, but a second way of understanding the second interpretation, which is don't do what the idolaters do. Because if you do that, so this would cause the sanctuary built by your fathers to be destroyed. So we have three points here in Rashi. Number one, don't do like this to the Lord your God. What does that mean? Don't worship God in the way that they worship their idols by worshiping all over the place. Just do it in the base of Megiddo, in the Holy Temple. Now, if you're reading the verses, it would seem don't do like this means don't break, don't break the, uh, you just told, told me to break, don't, uh, to break all the uh, idolatrous altars. Don't do that to God's altar. That's what it seemed to me anyway. That's the flow of things. But I could see why Rashi would not, perhaps why Rashi doesn't choose that as the first interpretation, because it's kind of obvious. Of course, you wouldn't destroy God's altars. So perhaps that's why Rashi first gives that other interpretation. As a second interpretation, he says, don't do what, what I just told you to do to their altars. Don't do that to the holy altars. But then Rabbi Shmuel says, what, 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 why would a Jew even think of doing such a thing? 
do we really have to be commanded not to destroy the altar? I mean, this why would he, why would we even have such command? So Rabbi Shmuel says that there's a way of destroying the altar that is not intuitive. You may be doing other sins that it will cause the altar and the temple itself to be destroyed, and that's going to be your um, that's going to be on your head that the temple is being destroyed because of your sins. So the Sasun Cain. Don't cause the temple and altar to be destroyed to of the Lord your God through your uh, behavior in an improper way. So that's very interesting. Just lost my place over here. Okay, here we go. Um, right, right. So, so there, there's unintended consequences where we, th- we think we may be doing our own thing, but in fact, our behavior, it's telling you what the impact of our behavior is that... God forbid the temple could be destroyed because of our behavior. So it's it's, a, it's kind of a, a musar, a, a a lesson of of the impact of our deeds and how careful we have to be with them. Verse five, kiim elam ah. So then now you see why Rashi tells us this because kiim in the first interpretation, kiim elam makayim asher yivcha Hashem alekechem mikol shiftechem losum eshemayisham leshichnei sidrishu vasoshama. Only to the place which the Lord your God shall choose from all your tribes to set his name there, you shall inquire after his dwelling and come there. So this fits with Rashi's first interpretation that the, what God is saying, the Torah is saying, don't worship all over the place, rather in this place that God is going to choose from among all the tribes. And where is that place? Says Rashi, Zem Mishkan Shiloi. This is the Mishkan which was in Shiloh. Later, Became the temple in Jerusalem, but originally the place where the that was set for for worshiping God was the Mishkan of Shiloh. Verse six: Shama, you shall bring over there your your olot, your burnt offerings, your your offerings, your tithes, with yetchem, the gift of your hand, your oaths. I'm sorry, your vows. Your oaths. And the firstborn of your of your cattle. And those of your sheep. Rashi tells us. That refers to shlamim. The, the sacrifice called shlamim, which is an obligation. Your tithes. What tithes are related to sacrifices? So there's a tithe of an animal. And there is also a tithe that has to be brought to Jerusalem to eat. So we take a tithe of, of, of our, our produce, we bring it to Jerusalem to eat, or we redeem it and bring the money to Jerusalem and buy the food over there. What does the Torah mean by the separation of your hand? These are the Bikurim, the first fruits. And what do we, what, how do we see that? Because when it describes the, the mitzvah, the first fruits, it says the Kohen will take the basket from your hand. <clears throat> so we see that this gift is referring to something uh, with a that we're using our hand for. Okay, we have a good question in the chat. Let's see if we can uh, finish the, the the Aliyah and we'll get to it. What about the firstborn of your cattle? You're supposed to give that to the Kohen and he shall offer them up over there by the temple. Verse 7, you shall eat over there before the Lord your God and you shall rejoice with all of your endeavors in your household that God has blessed you, commensurate to the blessing, bring the offerings. Very beautiful. God gives you. The more God gives you, the more you should give back, the more you should do good with the goodness that you get. Verse 8, Don't do like we do today. Everybody 
as it sees fit in his, in his eyes. What is this referring to? Says Rashi that there was a period, the 14 years after the Jewish people came into the land of Israel and they were conquering it and they were settling it for those 14 years, it was permitted for them to offer a sacrifice on a Bama. Bama is like a temporary altar. That there was a time when it was permitted. And when you do so, says Rashi, when you do that, don't bring everything that you now bring in the Mishkan in the tabernacle, which is with you, and it's been anointed, and it's kosher to have, it is appropriate to bring there the chata'ot, the sin offerings, and the ashamot, the guilt offerings, and the vows, and the oaths. But with the bama, you could only bring voluntary offerings. You cannot bring the obligatory offerings on the bama, this temporary altar. That's what it means. Each man, what he sees fit in his eyes, that refers to the the voluntary offerings. I see fit in my eyes to bring an offering. It's not something that I'm obligated to do. That is what you're allowed to bring on a bama, not anything that is obligatory. Verse 9, you, you have not yet come to the resting place, the elanachala, to the inheritance that Lord your God is giving you. What is that referring to? That's referring to those 14 years of conquest and division of the land. Now, the Torah refers to menucha and to nachala, the resting place and the inheritance. Rashi says these are two things. The menucha, that is Shiloh. The nachala, that is Jerusalem. So the resting place is Shiloh and the inheritance is Jerusalem. Verse 10, you shall pass, cross over the Jordan and sit in the land, dwell in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you and God will give you rest from all your enemies from all around. And you will dwell securely. It says Rashi, this is the last verse, you shall cross the Jordan. You will have a portion that among yourselves and every man will recognize his portion and the territory of his tribes. God is going to give you rest. Like the word After you conquer and divide the land, having obtained rest from the nations which the Lord left over through whom to test Israel. And that was only in the days of <clears throat> King David. As then, so today's Aliyah um, continues into tomorrow's, then you're going to have the place that I chose, um, namely the temple. But we'll leave that for tomorrow and open it up to questions and comments. We have a question in the chat, which was um, the question was that there was a certain period. Well, let let me read the question instead of going by memory over here. Pull up the chat. We no longer have an urge to worship idols like we used to. I seem to remember a story in the Talmud that explains why we no longer have this desire driving us. Please explain. So yes, that is true. We no longer have an urge to worship idols like we used to. We have new idols, uh, more abstract idols, but the, the physical idols that bow down to a physical thing, we don't have. So this was, the Talmud does say this, that, that at one point the sages um, prayed to God and said, please do us a favor and get rid of this desire for idolatry. And... God responds, and indeed the Yetzirah, the evil inclination that leads us to idol worship, was removed. Um, and at the same time, we also lost the divine revelation that we used to have. 
right? So the prophecy, so everything has to be balanced. So when we had the good times and we had prophetic vi vision that we were, we had uh, um, access to when we had the miracles in the base of Migdash, when we had this great revelation of, of the divine, we also had a counterbalance to keep free choice alive, <clears throat> like we start off the Parsha with. And, and we have this urge. And this story in the Talmud, maybe you're alluding to as well, where one of the sages, the great sages of the, of the Talmud, said something derogatory about one of the kings of Israel, or Menashe, <laughs> Mendel says, who used to worship idols. He was a, a big idol worshiper, major of idol worshiper. And someday one of the rabbis said something de derogatory about him. And, he, came, and he, he, he said to the rabbi in a dream, he said, if you were alive then, you would have picked up the, the hem of your robe to run after the idol. You don't understand what kind of compulsion there was at that time for idolatry. You don't understand the, the Mishigas, right? Every every generation has its Mishigas that if you've landed from a time machine, you would walk in and say, what are these people going crazy about? What, I mean, what's the big deal? What are these uh, crazy colors that they're, they're, they're painting their, their walls with? Or, um, you know, why, why such pointy shoes? <laughs> so, or the, why, why are there sideburns, the 70 sideburns? What's going on over there? Those actually were good. They come from the Torah. Should have sideburns, but um, so, that, so so every generation has its its craziness. But yes, you're right. The, there was a certain time where the sages said, "It's enough. We're done with this," and uh, we got rid of that. Do you have time for another? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one thing I'd like to get your your feedback on your response to. Um, it's drawn out in great detail the focus of this whole thing on blessing and curse, right? Blessing and curse. Right. And then the blessing following God's commandments, becoming closer, bringing us closer to God, right? From following his, his commandments. The curses, all the ways that we could violate that, including worshiping idols and so forth. It's kind of, it, it, it's, it's easy to understand, I think, the curses of what that brings when following idols and things just separates us from God. There's a lot of suffering in that. But it, it it's it, we could we could be misled, I think, in if we follow the blessing that everything's gonna go smoothly, everything's gonna go well, our life's gonna not have any challenges, no suffering. It's not like that. Right? I mean it doesn't mean <laughs> a holy person doesn't mean they never suffer. It doesn't mean that everything goes right. Right, we met, we're close to God, which is wonderful. But there's also in this life, living on this earth, in this ego, on this place, there's suffering also. Your comments. That's an excellent point. Uh, we have that, you know, back at the end of Leviticus, we have the the parsha Bichukotai, which says, if you follow my statutes, then everything is going to go well. So I think the simplest explanation is, first of all, when the Torah makes these promises, is referring to the people, right, to the to the collective. So when we're collectively doing the right thing, you know, the, the, uh, we, there's a collective goodness that descends upon the land and so forth. And, you know, that's, that's one thing. Um, right. And, and uh, yes, and as far as, you know, individual, individual reward, the Talmud says, schar mitzvah al-maleka, that the reward for mitzvahs we don't have in this world okay. necessarily. Uh, primarily, we have the reward for mitzvahs 
in the next world. And that was taught, I believe, by Rabbi Yaakov. And his in, in the, the one of the sages that left the path, Acher, Elisha ben Avuya, who, who became a heretic, what is it is said that he once witnessed a father tell his son to go up and get a bird from the tree and to shoo away the mother bird, which is one of the mitzvahs. You're not allowed to take the eggs with the mother bird there. So the, the boy was doing two mitzvahs, the mitzvah of honoring parents and the mitzvah of um, shooing away the mother bird. Both of these mitzvahs say, so that you will have a long life. That's what it says in the Torah. Do this mitzvah and you will have a long life. So he said, you know, less din, less dying. There is no justice and there is no judge. It's clear. I mean, there's no justice. The guy went to do a mitzvah and he died. He fell off the ladder and he died. So that's what Rabbi Yaakov said, that clearly the reward for mitzvahs is not necessarily occur in this world. And um, yeah, exactly. That Very good point. On the collective sense, because even Jews who were following everything sometimes ended up with pestilence and other things they died, but the reward was later, or, or as you said, with mitzvah. Exactly. There's a, you know, God treats us as a community. So when the community is deserving, the Jewish people are in the land of Israel and with, with, with the blessing. And the opposite is also true. On the other hand, um, the Rebbe said that as we get closer to Mashiach, we should see more how the physical reality is matching up with the spiritual. Mm. And so the Rebbe emphasized more that when you do the right thing, it's going to express itself in goodness also in this world, in the physical world. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to see. It's not, it's not always clear. It's not always clear to, to be able to see that. Um, I think it's a very complicated, very complicated thing to try to figure out. Well, thank you for your clarification. Those are good points. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you, gentlemen. This has been another wonderful session of the Parsha, the Parsha Report. And we will see you Tuesday for the next installment. Thank you, Rabbi. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.